This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Good afternoon. The long-awaited assisted dying bill has been unveiled in Ottawa. As Bob Comsick just reported in Zoomer Radio News, the legislation says there should be a choice of medically assisted death for adults who are suffering intolerably and for whom death is reasonably foreseeable. It is the response to the Supreme Court's ruling last year that the prohibition or the the ban on doctor-assisted suicide violates the right to life, liberty, and security of the person. It's also more restrictive than conditions recommended by members of a special joint parliamentary committee who'd been studying the issue up until February. There was concern expressed by the Canadian Medical Association back in 2014 that doctors should be allowed to follow their conscience when deciding whether to provide aid to those who wish to die. Here we are. Two years later, with proposed legislation to be passed by June 6th, Dr. Jeff Blackmer is the vice president of medical ethics with the Canadian Medical Association. He's on the line with us now. Doctor, what are your early thoughts on the proposed legislation, understanding it was just unveiled a short time ago? Sure, that's right. We've just had a chance to uh, to look at it fairly quickly, and uh, we've received a, a technical briefing uh, from government officials as well. And I would say uh, certainly our initial impressions are very favorable. Uh, we think that it represents a very balanced and measured approach to a very complex and, and difficult issue, especially uh, initially as the, as the legislation is introduced with further study to follow on some of the more uh, complex and controversial issues. And, and to your point earlier about uh, the respect for conscientious objection, and, and at the same time, ensuring that patients who qualify will have access. Uh, I think the bill uh, does an excellent job of balancing those issues as well. So we were very pleased by, uh, by the recommendations and by the content of the bill in those areas. How much were the concerns of doctors taken into consideration by the federal government, do you think? It sounds like they really listened to what you had to say. I would say unequivocally, it sounds like they listened to what we had to say. And they took a very... A deliberate approach to ensure that they they came up with recommendations and uh, and with a way forward that would help to ensure access, but balance that against the rights of healthcare providers. So, in in that regard, we were extremely pleased, and uh, we're certainly grateful to have had our concerns heard and addressed. Do you think it will withstand any charter challenges? Uh, Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould was quick to say she felt confident of that. Well, of course, I'm not a lawyer, but I would say uh, based on what I've uh, been able to see so far and having uh, read the Carter decision a number of times, uh, that that would be my impression as well. Now, I'll, I'll leave it up to the legal scholars to parse some of the fine details, but certainly at a high level, it, it would appear to me uh, that, uh, that it would meet a number of those uh, requirements that Carter did set out. So where does this leave doctors? Is a doctor obliged to provide a doctor-assisted death if requested? 
to do so? No. So a doctor is not obliged to uh, to provide a doctor-assisted death, and there's nothing in the uh, legislation either about uh, any obligation to directly refer the patient. What we have is instead a recommendation that the federal government will work with provincial governments to come up with a central referral and coordination mechanism so that we can direct, we can connect uh, patients and their families to non-objecting providers. And we know uh, from surveys that we've done that that uh, 30% or so of, of our members have said that they would be interested in providing this service. So what this will do is it will enable patients to make direct connections with those physicians, uh, which is very, very important because we've already seen scenarios where patients have had difficulty finding a doctor, even though for example, we knew there were some available in those cities, but there was no mechanism to make that connection. So it's really, again, it's, it's, a, it's an excellent balance of ensuring access in a meaningful way, but not putting uh, physicians in a difficult position. And, and I'd also just like to point out that physicians cannot uh, refuse to discuss this issue with their patients. We're not, we're not in any way suggesting that physicians should be allowed to put up barriers or to prevent access to patients who qualify. Uh, physicians do have positive obligations. They still have to have this discussion. They have to address these difficult issues, but they don't have to participate and they don't have to refer to a physician who will undertake assisted dying. We will, we will work to ensure that that mechanism is in place uh, to help balance out those issues. And I think uh, we've really found an excellent way forward today. Right. It, it seems as though now there will be a list of almost like doctor-assisted death specialists, people who are willing and are interested and will become experts at this. That's right. A- absolutely, that's the intent. And I just make two points on that. Number one is that the CMA is currently in the process of actually planning educational courses uh, in this uh, area for physicians who are interested um, and the second point is that they also uh, indicate that the names of those providers will be kept confidential. And I think that will be very uh, helpful for Canadian physicians. They, I, I know from a number of my colleagues, they've told me, you know, I might be interested in participating in this, but I don't want my name made public. I don't want to be out there on a website and potentially subject to threats or, uh, or, uh, or harassment. And so the fact that there's sensitivity to this as well, I think, will be very reassuring uh, to physicians who may be interested in participating. We're looking for your early reaction as well as to what you think about the proposed legislation on Fight Back with Libby. I'm Jane Brown. The number 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Blackmer, Vice President of Medical Ethics with the Canadian Medical Association on the line with us now. And sensitive to this question, I'm about to ask, what is the actual medical procedure for implementing a doctor-assisted death? Well, that's an excellent uh, question. And, and, uh, of course, um, you know, the technical details, I think, are something that, uh, you know, that we won't be necessarily discussing the fine details in in public. Uh, But, for example, uh, Quebec, who became the first provincial jurisdiction to enact legislation in this area, has come up with a a pharmaceutical protocol uh, that is available to physicians who are interested in participating. And, and I would point out as well that we've learned from jurisdictions in the United States in terms of what they use, and we will also uh, continue to have conversations with our colleagues in European countries uh, where, uh, uh, where this is available as well. So there are a variety of, of types of medications that can be used in different combinations, 
and uh, and and this is all new for Canadian physicians. So we're learning this from scratch, and we'll be looking to those other places that have experience. Uh, to uh, to see what would work best within the Canadian context, you know, in terms of availability uh, and uh, and uh, sort of comfort level of Canadian physicians with some of these medications. We have Earl from Oakville on the line. Earl, what would you like to add to the conversation, or do you have a question for the doctor? Well, I have a comment to make. First, I'd like to apologize and say I'm sorry to a fellow I might have heard in 1973 when I was 12 years old. This has got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I thought I would say that. Also, to Monica, I'd like to apologize to her for not speaking up when my friends were making fun of her and that. But I'm against this doctor-assisted death because I have diabetes, and where do you draw the line? Okay, what do you say to that, doctor? Well, I think that's uh, one of the things that the legislation actually does a good job in addressing is trying to clarify where that line is drawn. So we certainly heard a lot of angst, I would say, both in the profession and the public uh, in terms of, for example, patients... Uh, with mental illness uh, being able to access this service, even in the sort of absence of any physical uh, problems. And, and the legislation uh, does not provide it for those populations, but does set out to study it further. So, right. um, you know, there are other examples as well, but I think, uh, uh, you know, certainly from what we've heard from surveys and, and from canvassing our membership, uh, I think people will feel uh, more comfortable with this more cautionary approach, uh, at least initially. And that's and that's exactly it. It is initial legislation because there that's there right. are concerns and there is criticism coming from those who say are early in their um, onset of Alzheimer's, for instance, and 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 want to be able to have provisions that they could end their life should a time come when they no longer have their dignity. Those people are not included in this legislation. That's correct. And I, and I think, you know, as healthcare providers, we have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of concern for that population. We have a lot of respect for those views. Uh, it certainly seems simple on the face of it to say, you know, we will be able to set out in writing what we want done. The actualization of that is actually much more complex. And we've seen that in jurisdictions like the Netherlands, uh, where when the time comes, uh, you, you know, it can be far from clear that the patient still wants this or that their life is still not worth living, even though uh, they set this out in advance. So, again, I think out of the gate, having a, a, a cautionary approach, given the novelty and the complexity of this issue, uh, you know, to start with makes a lot of sense. And then we can see how that works and whether or not there seems to be a need to build in sort of additional mechanisms uh, down the road uh, without trying to implement all of these things all at once. We appreciate your thoughtful commentary and spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Coming up next, Maureen Taylor joins us, the widow of Dr. Donald Lowe, who was an advocate for physician-assisted death. And now his wish has come to fruition. We get reaction from his widow coming up next. And we also invite your calls, 416-360-0740, you are listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. You'll remember the late Dr. Donald Lowe. Uh, he posthumously appealed for doctor-assisted death legislation back in 2013, just eight days before he passed away with a brain stem tumor. 
He was recorded on video speaking about his disease, his concerns for how he would die, and his wish for legislation which would make physician-assisted death legal in this country. Here's a portion of the audio from that recording. I'm worried about how it's going to end. I know it's got to end. It's, not, it's never going to get better. So I'm going to die. And what worries me is how I'm going to die. Am I going to end up being paralyzed and, you know, have to be carried from the bathroom to the bed? Uh, am I going to have trouble swallowing? I won't be able to take in food? Uh, things like that, you know, what the end is going to look like, that's what's bothering me the most. It'll be a long time before we, we mature to a, uh, to a level where we accept dying with dignity. Uh, there's a lot of opposition to it. A lot of clinicians oppos have opposition to dying with dignity. I wish they could live in my body for 24 hours, and I think they would change that, change that opinion. You uh, certainly get goosebumps when you listen back to that, remembering uh, the video that we all saw on TV and the audio that we heard on radio from that time. Very difficult for him to do that, and yet uh, so much impact. Maureen Taylor is the widow of Dr. Lowe, and she's on the line with us. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Maureen. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jane. Thank you. Your husband didn't think this day would come as soon as it has, did he? No, he did not. Um, I like to say Don usually wasn't wrong about anything, but he was wrong about that in that video. I think, uh, you know, for all that I may have issues with the legislation, as it's with the bill as it's written, um, I, I have to acknowledge that for Don, it would have been more than he would have thought possible in this short a time. And I'd like to ask you before we get into talking about the, the bill specifically, how much of an impact do you think his video had on moving forward on what was once considered to be a contentious issue? Well, we, you know, I, I sort of defer on, on that question to the, the courageous women uh, whose cases did eventually get to the Supreme Court, which is why we have legislation at all. And, and that's, you know, Kay Carter and Gloria Taylor. Um, Dawn didn't have the strength to try to fight this at the court level. And, and believe me, if, if we could have accessed some, uh, some medications that would have provided him with a, a quick and painless death, even illegally, uh, you wouldn't even know the, the, how he had died or what he had wanted. But um, so I, if the video has made any impact at all, then I'm, I'm grateful that I asked Don to do it in those last days when he had very little strength and time left. But on the other hand, there, there really are a lot of other people who deserve the credit. You say the legislation or the proposed legislation does not go far enough. You know, um, it's, it would be so easy for me, uh, and, I, and at the beginning, I was looking at the Oregon model, which is very similar to what we've seen tabled uh, today by the federal government. The Oregon model um, says that patients have to have a prognosis of less than six months to live. Now, my husband, he would easily have fit those criteria. Uh, he was a slam dunk, as they say. But the more I've researched this issue and, and looked into um, the other diseases that people have that don't necessarily uh, have a prognosis of six months to live, then I'm, I'm uneasy about the government using, I guess in the in the bill, it says they have to have a death 
that is reasonably foreseeable. Now, that is such imprecise language. Like, my death is reasonably foreseeable. All of our deaths are. Um, but, you know, they're, they're sort of hinting that they want patients who access this to be at the very end of life. And to be honest, that would mean someone like Kay Carter, who had spinal stenosis, which isn't a terminal condition, but she was suffering intolerably, that would have meant she wouldn't even qualify for this. So I think this is going to be challenged again at the courts, and I think that's unfortunate that we have to go through that. And how will you qualify should you want to end your life because of suffering that you can no longer bear? Yeah, they they, they say that um, that what the patient will have to do is meet certain criteria, which, you know, they'll have to be adults who are competent. Um, so they've, you know, not taken the advice of the federal committee as well as the provincial committee, which I co-chaired. And, and we said they should take an approach of a mature minor approach, which we do with other health decisions now, but they've rejected that. And they said the person will have to be over 18. They've also said they have to be competent and always offered the right to change their mind right up until the last minute. And what this means is that for people who have dementia or even a stroke, which can progress, some kind of condition that could progress where you lose the capacity to decide things for yourself or even the ability to communicate your wishes, you might not be able to get an assisted death. So you're almost going to have to, you know, uh, get it earlier than you other otherwise would. Um, you have to be suffering intolerably, which is all fine. That all uh, goes with Carter. But they're not going to allow people whose primary condition is a mental illness mm-hmm. to access this. And they say that needs more study. Right. Do you mind taking some calls? Uh, I can take a few. Okay. Sure. Margaret from Toronto, what would you like to ask Maureen? Or do you have a comment you'd like to add to the conversation? Oh, hi. Uh, is it Libby today? No, it's Jane. Oh, Jane, I hear you every morning on radio. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. How are you both? Fine, thanks. Good. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, this is a very delicate matter. Um, whose decision is it to end the life? Is it the doctor or the spouse or the loved ones? Yes. Uh, so I can... When a patient's very ill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no substitute decision maker can ask for this for you. So it has to be the patient only. And certainly a physician cannot tell the patient they should have this done. So that's, that's it's got to be very clearly the request uh-huh. of the patient themselves. That's very, very good because doctors are not making proper decisions. I know what happened to my husband, but I'm not talking about it. Okay, fair enough. They just go ahead and do whatever they like. Well, that we do know, in fact, Maureen, that, and that is all part of it, and this is why people with onset of dementia cannot forecast their death right. for a time when they no longer have their dignity. Right. And that's, you know, that, that was the one thing. If I was to be perfectly selfish in all of this, I'm not that worried about getting a brain tumor like my husband did, but I'm very worried about one day being uh, in an advanced state of dementia where I'm confined to bed, can't feed myself, I don't know my children anymore. Um, and I, I know for me, for me, that would not be a quality life. I would not want to go on living. But this bill from the federal government clearly will force me to because there's no way somebody with advanced dementia would be able to get an assisted death. And now the government is saying we can't use advanced directives to ask for it. Do They're going fo- to study it. 
Do you, yes. Do you see, foresee a time when someone like uh, an adult child of somebody with Alzheimer's and has power of attorney would be able no. to request that? No, not, that's not a bit. No jurisdiction allows someone yeah. else to make that decision yeah. for you. So no. Okay, Norman from Alliston, what would you like to say? Good morning. Good afternoon, Libby. Um, I'm an iron worker by trade. I'm retired now. So I, I face death on a daily basis, basically, all iron workers do. But the thing is, I work, face death on a daily basis, and then it, I've got, when I retire, man, I've got Alzheimer's and I've got cancer, and I've got idiots who say, you can't die because it's, not, it's up to a, a, a jurisdiction of a doctor, and a doctor might be um, um, religiously inclined, and he's not going to do it. This, should be, this shouldn't even be, be, be uh, um, brought into the fact. What should happen is people should have the right to die if they wanted to die. And it should be, and I, I appreciate Dr. Lowe and all, all his days, them, that young lady who died of, um, um, I, I can't remember the name, but anyway, she, she, she died a few years ago. And I applaud these people for doing what they're doing. And then we've got religious people or religious zealots who are jumping onto the bandwagon and saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. If they've not seen people with Alzheimer's in a vegetative state they have got no conscience at all. And, and thank you for that point, Norman. That's going to increasingly become part of this. There will be this pressure, Maureen, won't there, for this study to happen very quickly because that part of it is not being addressed. Right. And the government basically said there's three areas that we think need further study uh, individually, not all together. So one would be um, the advanced directives. Another would be the mature minor concept. And the third one would be uh, people with uh, mental illness. And so, and I have to say, the reason they're saying they're going to study this is because clearly the Charter of Rights and Freedoms could be used to argue that that uh, all of those things are illegal. So the government is bringing in stricter legislation than Carter and stricter legislation than the Charter of Rights and Freedoms might support. They know this is going to be challenged, and so they're trying to say, yeah, yeah, we'll study it. But um, unfortunately, real people with real diseases are suffering in the meantime. Has this become your life's work to also be an advocate? Well, I guess I guess it is, and um, you know, I, I again I want to say that in some ways I'm very grateful, and I know Dawn would be grateful because we're we're further along I think than we would have been under the previous government. But on the other hand, I still think there's work to do, and I plan to carry that on. Thank you so much for your time today. It was We were very pleased that you came on with us. I was happy to be here. Thank you, Jane. Great. Maureen Taylor, an advocate for the assisted dying legislation, a variation, a more progressive one than what we've seen unveiled today in Ottawa. We've uh, just started the conversation with many more to come as uh, the studies continue and as the process goes through Parliament for it to become legislation by June 6th. We will continue to discuss it here on Zoomer Radio and on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. I'm Jane Brown, in for Libby for the next couple of weeks while she's on assignment. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.